0: Love Do, you love Do you see the of the world? Do you see the of yourself?
1: Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show, hosted by Amber Strange and Jenna Penrose, two mothers and detectives dedicated to fully embodying a new paradigm of conscious parenting, deeper relationships... Healing ourselves into radiant health and epic answers to age old enigmas. Get ready to get your mind blown.
0: Because this week's episode starts in
1: three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show. It's Jenna and Amber here. And today we are discussing listening, unlearning, And Unifying Black Lives Matter with one of my dear and longtime friends, Mecca Cox. Hi, Mecca. Hi. Thank you for having me.
2: This is so exciting.
1: Oh my gosh. We are (laughs) so excited to have you. Thank you for joining us to discuss this epic time of change and healing and I just really want to say from my heart, thank you for being a voice and a representative for Black, Indigenous people of color out there in this time and this conversation. And yeah, I'm excited to really nut this out and work out the way to be the best ally possible in the fight for equality and healing and justice and really a new paradigm. So yes. thanks again.
2: Yes,
0: of course.
1: Hi, Jenna. I know you're there. Hi there.
0: Yeah, I was. I, I, some weird like sound thing happened, and I don't know. You guys cut out for a second, but hopefully, it's all good. And I'm, I am here. So hello. Yeah. Um, hi Mecca. Just so happy to have you on and to have this conversation. Uh, you know, we have been a little bit uh, in hiatus, and we're coming out of the cave to make this episode because it's just it's that important. So right. thank you.
2: I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me here.
1: It's our pleasure. And we have a short and sweet and beautiful little bio that Jenna is going to share with us.
0: Yes. Um, So Mecca Cox is a celebrity and fashion stylist based in Los Angeles. She started her career as a model and has spent most of her life working in the fashion industry between New York and LA. She currently works predominantly with musical artists. And uh, while styling is is her career using her platform to give voice to social social justice issues has been one of her lifelong passions. She continues to forge a career path that is both diverse and innovative, and reflective of her humanitarian values. So obviously, a good person to have on for
2: this topic. <laughs> That's a mouthful, wasn't it? <laughs>
1: No, but so good. You're such a creative and I love the concept that you're using your art, your eye for style to express your deeper values. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's so smart and so beautiful and yeah, well done.
2: I mean, I think that that's like a a thing where, you know, I just think there's, uh, there has to be a way to always like incorporate the things that you feel passionate about in life with what you do sometimes those things are exactly in line and sometimes there can be you know more than one aspect of your personality being expressed through your job but i think if you can bring in your values into the job you do then like that's you know the best way to go possible
1: so i totally agree make make your job what you put out there an authentic expression of what you yeah. believe in and who you are for and sure what you're-
0: passionate about and what like really drives, you know, your soul. Exactly.
1: Exactly. Boom. High five, virtual (laughs) high five. Jenna, I know you have an epic definition for today's episode. I tried.
0: I really, um, you know, this is such an important and delicate moment. And so I really, I really did my best to encapsulate sort of, you know, where I'm, what I'm feeling. And also, you know, speaking to Amber kind of like, what we were thinking. And um, Mecca, I want to really open the floor after I give this definition for you to break it down, to add what you want, to take out things that you know you felt were not um, right. So here I go. Um, <clears throat> listening, unlearning, and unity. Black Lives Matter. This is a moment ripe for mass healing, ripe for the 99% of the world to to unite against the system, the system that has systematically repressed, held down, and used African-American humans since they were captured in violence and brought to America as slaves. The collective soul wound and trauma that has resulted from these crimes against humanity is a massive pocket of evil still, that is still felt in righteous rage and needs to be witnessed by all with deep and heart-wrenching compassion. The traumas, murders, and abuses that have befallen black and brown humans in this country since the beginning has been truly mind-blowing, all due to a system set up for a very small number of white people to profit and control the resources of the planet. This is the system that is the soup we swim in, meaning that we accept as reality without question and which subconsciously programs us from birth. We, the 99% of people who want peace in this world and have love in our hearts, need to rise up together against this system. We need to stand together and demand justice for all humans, for all sentient life, and for the planet itself. Yes, black lives do matter a lot. And this moment could be the tipping point that unites us all to throw off the yokes of the system for good. And then we can build a new paradigm together.
1: Oh, wow amazing spiritual amazing. clap spiritual clap <laughs> is a spiritual clap a snap <laughs> yeah to just <to> snap <laughs> it snap it just very you know polite <laughs> clap. <Got it>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow I think that's so I honestly feel like you really just like summed up so many things in that one statement that I feel like is part of the larger conversation I feel like where we're at right now is like we're kind of in the smaller part of the conversation and that's not a bad thing. I think there's micro and there's macro, right? So, like right now, we're focused in on like the specific concerns around injustice, racial inequality, and I think that when you kind of uh, pull back from that a little bit, you start to realize that injustice and inequality for Black people or Indigenous people, um, and you know, then from their people of color, and then you know, on up. Women, like you can start to really pull that back and start to see how um really there's a the the bigger control issue is about not even the point one per not even the one percent but the point like oh oh one percent of mm-hmm. people who are really controlling the wealth and the resources in the world and in this country. And that a lot of times what happens is racism and sexism and all of that is sort of a a system designed to keep those people in power and to keep everyone else kind of controlling each other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the bigger picture of what's going on. But right now I know we're kind of focused on like, you know, specifically racial uh, injustice and police brutality and stuff like that. But I think that your understanding of the bigger picture is really important and is um, and is really accurate.
1: Mm-hmm. And today, during this conversation, we can weave in the bigger picture because I think it is important for listeners and people to keep in context that it's all related mm-hmm. and you know, as we work on the micro level, we're working towards the macro level as a global community. And I personally think that this Black Lives Matter movement is part of an uprooting of all of the brokenness in society that is being revealed and that is needed Um, to be healed in order Mm -hmm. to move us as a mass global community to the next level of consciousness, of being unified against that Mm 0.01%. So I'm happy to keep that um, woven throughout the conversation today if you guys want to kind of refer back to that just so we're all remembering where we're headed. Um, But, yeah, I'm excited. And also this is just such a, in my
0: opinion, such an important Moment in the history of the Earth. From from my perspective, it seems like a lot which has been hidden and ignored, or or like the elephant in the room, which nobody's talking about, is is really coming to the surface to be examined, to be witnessed. Um, and for me, this whole movement is is such an important part of that. Like we cannot move to the mm-hmm. next level of consciousness without without witnessing and sorting out and healing these huge pockets within our human family that right. still carry so much so much pain and. Not only that, but like, um, you know, actually, like you were saying to to the nitty gritty of what's happening now, that that's actually playing out as as actual injustice, legal injustice, things Mm -hmm. that are not legal are happening over and over and over and over, you know? So Mm -hmm. that is obviously needs to be focused on. But the bigger picture of how we even got to that place is crucial to understand how we can get out of it, you know? Right.
1: And can I just say just quickly, because I want to hand it to Mecca in a second, but don't you guys think that, I I mean, I step back and we're talking about the bigger picture and I see spiritual warfare and I see all these like mini battles between good and evil, the light and the dark, and I can see the dark trying to divide us, but then in swoops the light during this time. And I just see it using that breakdown as the breakthrough to be more unified, busting mm-hmm. through the barriers and just moving us like a steamroller towards that um unity consciousness. Yeah I, I just feel like we're unstoppable right now. That's the exciting element. You know, the Me Too movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, even mm-hmm. this coronavirus and how that's revealing the corruption in the media, mm-hmm. the corruption and breakdowns in the medical systems. Totally.
2: All well, of it. but also I think with coronavirus it's also the I I feel like A lot of why we're even able to be so focused in a new way on what's going on with police brutality and racial injustice is because everyone's sort of at home in this state of kind of just like suspended life in a way. And so everyone has the energy, the time, and the attention to focus Mm -hmm. and turn all of our attention at once to those who are most in need in this moment. And I think that's like such a powerful thing that
1: maybe we wouldn't have if it weren't for coronavirus taking Mm -hmm. place. I totally agree. Like the divine orchestration that has led us to this point where everyone is glued to their phones and everyone's on Instagram and information spreads like wildfire and it's it's such a incredible time just to like get information out and to impact people cuz when else are we you know in lockdown not allowed to leave our homes and right. as you said focused on what's going on it's i think it's brilliant yeah
2: i i mean and that's the thing that's interesting i think when you talk and this is a little bit off topic but i think when you start talking about you know, coronavirus and all the things it's revealing. And I know that there are some things that people feel like are, you know, less than savory about the whole, you know, rollout of what's going on with coronavirus or what the doctors are saying or who these doctors are and stuff like that. But I think even if all of that is true, even if there are some, you know, uh, other motives in like, you know, implanted in this whole coronavirus epidemic. And I'm not even saying that I think that there are, I'm just saying, I know that that is like a thought that's swirling around. Um, somehow it still is being used for something really positive or it's contributing to something really positive at the same time. So, you know, I guess that's, I I mean, I don't know, I guess it's, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that like, even if there's something negative that sort of man-made and part of this situation, it still has been able to turn itself into something positive by focusing mm-hmm. all of our attention on, you know, basically a humanitarian crisis, which is police brutality.
1: Mm-hmm. I I completely agree with that. Can't keep the spirit down right now. It's exactly. it's pretty promising. All right. So let's, speaking about spirit and passion, Mecca, you've always been passionate about the fight for justice and equality. Can you share with us a little bit about your upbringing and where this spirit for the good fight came from?
2: Um, you know, I think I, I always say that it it came from, and I don't, I don't actually know if this is true or if it's, it's part of my personality before, but like, I feel like I grew up, um, I grew up in a small town outside of LA. I was born in LA, but we moved to a suburb when I was little because uh, I'm one of four kids and, um, you know, private school is very expensive. So we moved to a suburb and I grew up in a really, uh, a, a really just like a white town. Like I would say it was like majority white, but literally it was everyone was white except for us at the time. Um, there was my family and there was one other family um, that we knew. Uh, which was a Mexican family, and that was um, Jessica Alba, the actress. Um, we grew up in the same town. And so it was like this very all white town. Everyone in school, like, you know, it's like you kind of, I grew up kind of sticking out like a sore thumb, basically. And at the same time, I didn't have anyone, like, my parents really didn't talk a lot about race or about like no one ever said, I I know I hear a lot about the conversations about having conversations with kids around like, Oh, well, you know, the world might perceive you this way, or this might be your experience, but no one ever had that conversation with me. Um, so I just didn't grow up really looking at the world through that lens at all. Um, but of course, like I was aware of things like I, you know, I remember my dad telling stories when I was younger about stuff that used to happen to him, like in the eighties and ways that he was kind of, um, targeted by police and just, you know, the way the the cops used to be in LA, especially in the eighties was very different to how they are now. They're not perfect now, but certainly a lot has changed. Um, that was all pre Rodney King and all of that, you know, um, there's just a lot of corruption and bad, uh, bad apples, I'd say. So I had an awareness of a lot of that stuff. My, my, my dad's family is from Mississippi and, you know, my grand, my grandparents, um, talked about Mississippi a lot and kind of what life was like there. And so I just, I always had an awareness around like race stuff, but I didn't really feel like I had my own um, identity with it in a way because I I didn't have anyone sort of tell me to sort of look out for it. So I didn't really perceive the world that way. And, um, but then as I got older, my mom who was conservative actually when I like politically conservative when we were younger and she isn't so much anymore, but she was then and she was also religiously conservative. And a lot of times those things go hand in hand. Um, and so I grew up just listening to a lot of political conversation. And so we we're always like, you know, if we'd be in the car and we'd be driving for an hour to LA, I'd be listening to, she'd be listening to like talk radio. And so I felt like I, I would spend almost like basically hours every day just hearing opinion radio about like political matters that were going on in local government and big government and, you know, on every level really. So I feel like I always was kind of like aware of what was going on in the world. And I was also aware of it from the, this other perspective, which was the conservative perspective. And I don't think I really started to get an understanding of like a liberal perspective of things as much until I got older and kind of started deciding like, what do I want my politics to be? What do I believe in? And it started exploring that for myself. But I do think that those first years of my life and a lot and a lot of my young life up up through high school, I'd say kind of having that perspective of understanding the way conservatives think, and then kind of going into my own um, political beliefs of what liberals believe and what I believe, it gave me this sort of well-rounded perspective on the world and to kind of understand that on this side and on that side, everyone thinks they're doing the right thing. Everyone thinks that they're on the right side and everyone thinks that uh, you know, this is the best way forward and their way is the best way. And so I think just understanding that gave gives me uh, somewhat of a understanding of people and, and a desire to really want to understand everyone's perspective and just try to like bridge the gaps of communication. Because I really think a lot of times what's lost is just communication. And it's just like someone being willing to hear you, humanize you. And, and understand that you're not a bad person just because you have a different belief system. And if you can kind of meet someone in the middle there, then you can explain to them really like what your perspective is, or what your experience is. And maybe from there, we can kind of like move forward together. Um, and so that's just my approach because that's just sort of the way that my brain works, honestly.
0: I Uh, I love that. I think that's such a powerful perspective because it really allows you to have the conversation with people on all sides of the coin, I guess. And I, I would be interested to know, I know I kind of cut you off, but just on to the point, um, from your perspective, which let's say like is super well-rounded, what do you think is the best move forward from here?
2: Um in terms of police brutality or what
0: what Yeah, are- or what I guess what I'm trying to say is what do you think like each side is missing from the conversation in a way like what mm. do you think needs to be um communicated let's say mm. to each side that would help us move forward
2: Huh well I think um you know I think that it's important that we recognize and understand that on the side of Black people who have lived in this country and have had a certain reality and have experienced things a certain way or grown up with a certain perspective, I think it's important not to um, like vilify that. And I think that's kind of what's gone on for a really long time is that Black people have expressed that they've had a certain experience or that they, they, they've they had some, you know, issues with, um, you know, white people, maybe it's in school, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a counselor, maybe it was a cop, maybe it was an employer, like all these different aspects of life. And I think, I think that it's important that people understand that that is real, and that is legitimate. And that that needs to be heard and needs to be understood. And it doesn't need to be turned around or, or, um, you know, trying to basically throw water on that fire and tell them to just like relax and, 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 um, don't feel that way. Or, you know, I, I think it's important that you allow people to just kind of express the way they're feeling, especially because right now we're in a moment where a lot of people sort have sort of become awake to something that they didn't feel like they were awake to before. Meanwhile, there are all these other people who feel like, well, I've been living this life and I've been experiencing this and you and I have been in the same world, the same countries, the same cities. How have you not seen it? So it's like somehow we both, we've all been in the same place, but only some of us have been awake to a certain reality. And I think right now it's important that the people who have not been awake to that Really allow those people to express the way that they've been feeling because I think there's a lot of hurt that comes along with not only experiencing um, injustice or oppression, but then having people constantly telling you that's not what's going on, you're making that up, it's not legitimate, it's not real. Um, it's not that big of a deal. Get over it, which is really, it's like, it's gaslighting. And that's, that's kind of horrible. That's, that's horrible. Wrong. I can't, I just can't even believe that happens. I've never you witnessed know, that happening. Really I'm like, whoa. Forever, You know, it's like right now we talk about racism in this way. And in this moment, it's like, everyone's like ready to hear it, it seems like. But it's also, you know, even during... Even during civil rights, there was a lot of people who said like, you know, black people have have come so far. They've got so much like they need to stop complaining and they need to like get over slavery. It was a long time ago. And, you know, that narrative (laughs) carried through and it never seems to go away. And so I feel like what's different in this moment is that there are so many people who seem to really be awake to the suffering and seem to really be empathizing and understanding, or at least trying to understand. And so I feel like the tide has shifted Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we've, we've almost reached like a critical mass with Mm -hmm. uh, people who are, are interested in actually moving this issue forward and are interested in getting real about what black people have been talking about, what black people have been, For years, and have been constantly had a door slammed in their face. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we're in that place now makes me feel really hopeful because it just feels like you know you're you're never going to get every single person on your side or every single person to understand. But as long as we have most people in that place, like I'm good with that. Like that's enough people. As long as we have enough to actually start enacting some change and enacting some legislation that's actually going to change something. Um, And I I always say like I'm not. I'm not, I'm not here to legislate love. I'm here to legislate laws because I can't change everyone's hearts. And I understand that everyone wants that to happen. And I get that that's like a place that, you know, uh, is important to like look at as well. But for me, and I think for the survival and success of the black community, I think the most important thing is that we fix the laws and we fix the things that are unjust. And And can I ask you
0: about that though? The law, is there actually, because in my understanding, the laws are not necessarily racially unjust, but it's just how
2: they're being applied. Is that correct? It's the way that they're applied. But I mean, that's the thing about laws, you know, like it's, it's, it became, um, it's not appropriate or palatable to say, uh, you know, black people are three fifths of a person anymore or black people can't do this. And uh, white people can, we've, we've gotten to a place where you can no longer say that, but it's the same way that it was when, you know, they um, freed the slaves, but then they turn, then they, they turn that into unless this person gets arrested, then they can be enslaved again. So then that changes, that takes the, problem that we had before, and it just mutates it into a different problem. And then we end up with mass incarceration. So it's like, the words are always changing in a way to sound more palatable and like there's more progress. But there are always these hidden ways that things are still staying the same. Because it's, it, you can't read it on the surface of it. You just have to see what the effects of it are and start to change it that way.
0: Yes. And that's far more insidious. It's far more insidious to have it be a law which is being misused against and like weaponized against black people, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and the way the police are, are treating black people. uh with the same laws as they're, you know, it's like they're applying the law differently. And that's like exactly. so hard because the laws, it's, the legislation in a sense is there, but it's just like the police that are, are
2: need to be yeah, checked, I mean, here, you know, because the though,
0: applying the law.
2: Right. Yeah. And I, I think the thing with the police as well is like, you know, a lot of the reason why we have the issues we have with police brutality with honestly, with black people, but also with, uh, mentally disabled people, or with what whatever response, there the, the problem to me with policing is in general. Besides the issue with police brutality and racism, because like racism in particular is one part of it. But I think that a lot of the way that the police behave in this country um, is it, it's like they're it's like all brute force. You know what I mean? Like there's no de escalate de escalation tactics. There's no um you know people's lives are important, so let's like try to figure this out as as much as we possibly can and do everything we can. It's like all of the onus in a way is on the part of the citizen or the victim and Meanwhile, the cop is the one who is fully armed, and uh it's totally up to them to decide whether or not they feel like their life is in danger, so even though you might say something or there might be a law that says, you know, you can't use a chokehold unless you feel like your life is in danger. Well, then that leaves it up to the cop to say, well, I feel like my life is in danger. And you can say that anytime. And that's why there's so many cases where cops go to trial or like, even if they do Rodney it King. doesn't happen that often, but even if they go to trial, you can't prove that someone didn't feel like their life was in danger. So it becomes this loophole where they can still have the discretion to decide when and who they want to treat a certain way, and um, that in and of itself is a problem. So it's That's like a huge problem. Have to find ways to rewrite the legislation so that there are there are much more um, just strict lines around what constitutes deadly force, and that it's not all just based on the word of the guy who's still alive. And totally. totally. Yeah, we need
1: to look at who is creating the training programs and the system right. that the police get educated through, because there needs to be a lot more focus on humanitarian values and anti-racism tactics, and oh, yeah. all of it needs to be, you know, looked at and applied with force. And I think that that's obviously a really great place for people to start in looking at changing legis- legislation and. You know the 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 police um, training grounds,
0: and you know also with police, it's like I, I not all police. I'm going to say, but like I would say that psychologically, the type of people who are who are like. P- prone to become police officers. I'm not saying everybody, but like, there's definitely a certain percent of them that are going to be wanting to, to be violent in a way. Like they get to carry a gun. They get to like lord over other people. They get to control people. You know, that's like part of the psychological, like appeal to some people. And those are the exact type of people who should not be allowed to, especially police communities that are not, you know, like other, that's another race than them. And then they're trying to like, it's just horrible. That's doesn't work.
2: Yeah and the, and listen like the thing about it is and and there's there's two things one is that I was actually just watching this video before we came on about um there's a city in New Jersey cam I think it's Camden New Jersey where they they did really reform uh police the police and their police force and they basically said you know we realized that we couldn't use we couldn't keep using these same tactics that we weren't going to arrest our way out of the problems we were having in this city. So we had to change the way our approach to it. And they were talking about how they basically started teaching de-escalation and community outreach. And they encourage officers to get to know the community that they're policing. And all these things that you would think are wonderful things and are wonderful things. But they were like, you know, but we got death threats and the union like went after us and we constantly had people harassing us and, you know, all these things that because you have to understand that like when we talk about policing, policing is an institution. It's not about one or two bad cops or twenty five percent bad cops or however many bad cops there are it's really not about that it's really about the institution of policing and it's the, it's from the top down it's what they value and what they're teaching and because they're a powerful union it's about uh changing the culture of the entire system because you can be a good cop within a bad system but what difference does that really make if totally. there' are- cops in there, or if there are still bad cops in there, and they're not interested in getting rid of those, and they're always going to protect them. I mean, there are police chiefs who say that they want to get rid of cops who they know are not good, but the unions won't let them. So it's like, this is this is a problem. Mm-hmm. Whole
1: system, whole and system you, needs to be restructured. Break down the system.
2: Break yes. down
1: the system. Not just that. Mm-hmm. I got this incredible lightning shot vision of Mecca running for president. Ah! Yeah. It's never going to happen. <laughs> oh, come on. Also we got to get real change I in the system. <laughs> Represent. Come on. Mecca, we need you. I know right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah,
2: I just you know the problem is I feel like unfortunately in politics it seems to be so much more difficult to actually get things done. So it's like,
1: you know, I Well, I, not if you have lots of money to bribe people with. Right, <laughs> not exactly. if you can print money, baby. <laughs> exactly. Um yeah, I mean, yes to all of this. We need major system um reshuffling and coming down and building back up which i think we to be honest i think that's where we're at right now i'm seeing systems crumbling the archaic ones and making yeah. way for the new that's the aquarian age yeah. we're in it it's happening yeah um, I'm excited about that we are halfway already ladies and we've got so many powerful questions and and little nooks and crannies to get into. So should we move on to, and Jenna had this great question for you, Mecca, around how does a black community feel about their collective soul trauma?
2: Oh, well, I mean, collective soul trauma. Um, You know, I think that that's something that I don't, I don't know how The black community, quote unquote, feels about that. I think it's something that a lot of people recognize. I think it's a lot, it's something that a lot of leaders recognize in the sense that, you know, I think it's really important when you talk about, because people love to, in this conversation, bring up, well, there's black on black crime and there's black on black, you know, killings and that kind of thing. So, okay, great. Like, let's go there then. I think what you have to realize is like when you, uh, treat a certain group of people a certain way and you put them in certain communities and you strip all the money out of their schools. You put them in places where there are food deserts and they don't have any access to healthy food that they can afford. And you, um, you know, put the, put them into say projects in certain areas of town that are less than desirable. It's, it's like you're basically stripping all the resources from people. So it's like, it becomes this, um, it it becomes this situation where people are feeling desperate, are feeling oppressed, are feeling like hopeless. And of course, in that kind of environment, there's going to be crime. Of course, in that kind of environment, there's going to be um, you know, mental health issues. There's, and, and then not to mention the fact that this country has a massive issue with, uh, with gun control or the lack of gun control. So all of that together is like a ticking time bomb. And so I think it's really important. And I think the conversation around soul trauma is really important because not only do you carry with you, uh, you know, the lineage of your family, the, pain of things that have happened to you or that have happened to ancestors that gets passed down person to person but on top of that you deal with the constant your your constant surroundings and if you're not in a good socioeconomic situation which a lot of black people in this country are not then of course you end up in a situation where there it's going to breed violence and crime and then you throw cops into that who don't necessarily care, but just want to write tickets and get arrests. And the whole thing is just absolute chaos. So it's no wonder we have a a situation like what we have in Chicago. And, you know, I think that there are definitely conversations that have to happen and do happen all the time within the black community about crime in general and about the way that we kind of interact with each other. That's one thing, but I think that you cannot separate out um, the trauma that all of these kinds of oppressive systems put on people from the way that they then react to their circumstances. The two, Mm -hmm. like the two things are just like intermeshed, you know, and it feels
1: comparable to the American healthcare system. Yeah. Just completely, you know, a rat's nest of so much that's, um, you know, moving people towards a certain outcome consistently yeah. so exactly. and also,
0: uh, yeah and i also just to say uh, in response to what mecca had said just like the compassion like having deep compassion for like she said like a group of people which have been like purposely and systematically repressed and not given a chance and the desperation that arises from that that's natural that's justifiable that's completely understandable and we need to have compassion for that you know I you also wanted to highlight,
1: yeah. sorry, like you said something in the very beginning where you highlighted the importance of just simply listening and and finding that place of compassion and allowing people who have been repressed to express themselves and mm-hmm. to allow them to feel what they're feeling, not to tell them how they're feeling. And just simply allowing people to express themselves yeah. without correcting them or asking too many questions, whatever is the road to healing. And I just think it's so simple and it's the foundation of what we need to do right now.
2: And isn't it the same? And and I, I just, I'm just going to draw comparisons because I feel like there are so many, like to me, a lot of things, if you think about, uh, these situations, it's like, it's like most of it is psychological. It's like the same way that, you know, you wouldn't tell, um, It's like if you're having some sort of a, like, say, say your, say your son, Amber, say your, say Valentine is having an issue and he's really upset about something, going back at him and yelling back at him while he's yelling about something that he's feeling upset about is not going to make him feel like he can move on past that. It's going to keep him stuck in a certain place. Well, he won't even hear it.
1: We have the red zone and the green zone. (laughs) When someone's in the red zone, they can't hear anything until they're in the green zone. So it's a matter of allowing them to express, get it out there. And then it, disperses the energy, that intense energy. And then yeah. hopefully when they get to the green zone, that's when you move towards them with problem solving. Yeah. Ideas. And, and
2: that's not to draw a comparison between black people being like children. Like that's not really what it is at all. I'm just saying psychologically, people in general want to be heard. And if you can let people just be heard and let people just be, then especially if you're coming at this from a position of say an ally or someone who wants to be, someone who wants to be involved in this and someone who wants to show up in a way that really counts. Um, Letting people be heard is important because it allows them to really start to believe that you actually care the way that you say you care. If that caring is conditional based on whether or not they deliver the message in the exact way you want to hear it, or that you make them feel comfortable while they express their pain, then they're not going to trust you. And why would they? You know what I mean? Like a a lot of it is just people just need to feel like they're heard and they're understood. And then at that point, you can go, okay, so from this place,
1: what's next? And I think that's really important. Hmm? Yeah, no, I'm saying that that is exactly leading into my next question, which was based around A lot of people have been feeling a sense of aggression or, Mm. you know, um, hostile reactions between black and white right now in the pursuit to be an ally and to make a difference and help with the good fight. And what you're speaking to is exactly the answer I was hoping for, which is people are entitled to be expressing their soul trauma. Like that is something that is a reality for them and that. should be expressed as a way to dissipate hopefully some of the burden and the pain of that. And it is not our place to judge that, to recoil from that, to take that personally. I think that as a white person, when I go online and I'm trying to educate myself and understand what's going on and trying to figure out ways to be the best ally, I've noticed moments where I'm energetically recoiling because I feel a sense of aggression, um, almost coming at me for, for not doing it right, for trying to help but stumbling. And I've caught myself and, and I've said to myself, I'm not going to let this be a roadblock in what matters most which is a revolution around Mm -hmm. consciousness and moving us all towards unity like this is not personal it's not about me this is about allowing people to heal and the only way to do that is to put our ego aside not make it personal and allow people to be heard and figure out for ourselves the best way to be an ally through that
2: Yeah. Um, So I think part of that is understanding that if you're in a position of wanting to take responsibility, you know, because part of this is, well, we and, and you have to understand there are there are a few different parts to the aggression you might be feeling. Part of it is that, you know, I say sometimes and the reason why I preface my story by saying I grew up in a very white community. I've grown up around a lot of white people. The reason I say that is because that's not true. Of a lot of black people and for a lot of black people there is a automatic distrust of white people based on one or two experiences they may have had or just knowing about or experiencing racism or brutality or whatever or, or, or stories from their parents like there are all these things that you kind of grow up hearing and if you don't have that firsthand experience you may already have a slight distrust of like uh I like I don't I don't know if I can if I can trust that person or if I can go there with that person. So then when you're going through something year after year after year in this country and you feel like and this is something that I think people have to understand For black people, when you see police brutality and you see all the people who have been killed up until now, you're aware that we all as a country have access to the exact same news channels. Black people don't have a black news channel. So we're all seeing the same information. We all know what's going on. So when people suddenly come around and say like, oh, I just, I wasn't aware, I didn't realize, it's kind of like, first of all, how did you not know? And so that might be a little bit of the hostility that you're feeling. And, and I'm not even say I'm, I'm, that's not to say that's what I'm feeling. I'm just explaining that. But on top of that, I think the next thing from that is like, okay, well, if I've been complaining about this this whole time, because like, I've been in pain and we've been dealing with this on our own and now you're here and you want to help. Well, I'm not sure if I can trust that you're really going to stay and help, or are you kind of just like in it for this five minutes when it seems trendy and interesting to you, and then you're going to move on back to your life. You know, and I think that there is a bit of reticence on the part of a lot of Black people about whether or not this is something that is really going to last or not. And I think some people uh, uh, may be approaching that in different ways. Some people may just be like, well, you know, if it sticks, then it sticks great. Like, I don't need it one way or another. And other people may be kind of like, well, if you're going to be here, then I'm going to tell you exactly how it is and I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Because it's almost like, I think to some extent, there's a bit of a like push a bit of a testing to see like, are you, are you really in this? Do you really care about this? And I think you see a lot of when there was, you know, the, the protesting going on and then some of the looting and the rioting and all that stuff, which I'm saying is three separate entities because I believe that it was totally separate, totally separate. I think you saw a lot of people who were like, well, I really care about black lives matter, but mm, not sure I care that much anymore because they're stealing stuff. And it's Conditional. like, yeah. so if that if those are your conditions, if you no longer care about police brutality and black lives because you saw somebody steal a TV, then it's like, you never really cared to begin with. And I think we're used to that being the condition. You know what I mean? So you have to understand that there is a lot of like, let me dip my toe in this water and see like, are these people for real? Like, are they really here? Do they actually care? And why do they care suddenly? This stuff has been going on for so long. There's so many questions. Around Mm -hmm. all of it. I think we all are kind of,
1: you know, trying to figure it out. So understandable. And just having this conversation, just you allowing us that insight and perspective is a pathway towards people saying, you know, no, I'm going to be consistent in my fight for the good fight. I'm going to stick in here no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how, you know, much I want to recoil and how crazy it gets. Like, I, I'm more committed to the supporting these people heal and fighting for what's right than I am to take it personally or misconstrue things or whatever it may be so this is where it starts, I think, is you just sharing that perspective
0: and compassion yeah. Yeah. and also that we all can agree that the system needs to be torn down. I mean, the same system that has been repressing black people for all this time has also been effing over every single human on the pl- like, with a very, very small exceptions. Very few humans, animals, the planet. It's been effing over everything. Everything and so Women I think well. yes I think we need to like all agree and come together that this the system needs to fall and we we need to come together in fairness in justice inequality and build something that works for all humans and all yes. sentient life and for the planet itself it can and, be done
2: yes and to that point I think that's really important because I think what people have to understand is. You know, it always reminds me of Martin Luther King because when Martin Luther King was assassinated, it was one. It was when he was in the process of organizing the Poor People's uh, Campaign, and that was a pivot from going after civil rights for Black people specifically. All of that seemed okay, but then when he started going, you know, there was that famous line when he saw that uh, he asked the um, the cop who was. Um, basically stopping the protesters, stopping black civil rights protesters. He asked one of the cops, How much do you make? How much money do you earn? And he told him what the amount was that he was earning and he said, You should be marching with us. And that was that was sort of his um pivot into let's unite all people who are being overworked and underpaid and that this country is oppressing um in the form of poverty. And so once he made that pivot, that's when he was assassinated. And the reason why uh-huh. I think that's important to note is because what you realize is if you can keep poor white people hating poor black people, then the people at the top don't have to do any of the work because we can keep each other in control and in line.
1: And yes. I think
2: that... When you open this up and you start going, we're going to take our most vulnerable and we're going to care about them the most, which is this great analogy from of uh, the Future about penguins, about how they they take they all huddle in a mass. And the ones who are on the outside where the cold is, then push all the way into the center and get the most heat. And they just keep rotating like that so that the most vulnerable are always being pushed into the inside. So That's beautiful. And that's that's such a beautiful metaphor for like how we need to treat each other. Because when you take black people, when you take black trans people, whoever is the most vulnerable amongst us, if we start to protect each other, then that becomes a ripple effect where we all start looking around and going, okay, well, what else is unjust? What about medical care? What about all these things? What about this shrinking middle class? What about the fact that millennials will never make as much money as their parents made? What about the fact that, you know, there are all these, um, there there are so many, there's so much lack of educational opportunities for most of the country. You can't afford private school. I mean, there's so many things that are working against all of us, but we stay distracted by oppressing each other and we can't Cogs in the wheel of each other's oppression.
1: And that is what I think this conversation is about. Exactly what you said. The bigger conversation is noticing the tactics that are designed to divide us and stand up against that and say, no, we will not be divided. We're actually going to use this tactic as an opportunity to unify, to come together and push against the system (laughs) that, I mean, yeah, you, you said that so beautifully and I loved how you said to pull the most vulnerable in society and that's animals who are being tortured and nearly endangered. That's the elderly, that's black people who are being unjustly, um, unjustly oh. treated. That's and Children. children. children all of it all of it all of it the environment the oceans all of it the most vulnerable in this point of time we need to pull in and throw yeah trans people put them in the center of the circle and protect them and we need to be the voices to push out whoever's trying to divide us because yeah yeah, we need the only the only option is to be in our hearts have compassion listen understand and come together
2: I, and I always think of this as I always think about it as almost like a totem pole. And if you think of the wealthiest, wealthiest uh, white men at the top of that totem pole, the 0.001%, we're talking like billionaires and trillionaires at the very top of this. And then you go down from there, like by time you get down to say a black trans person who might, or an indigenous person or whatever, who might be the most endangered at this very moment in terms of humans um everything along that totem pole everything between that person at the top and that person at the bottom is being used against each other you know what i mean it's all a way for us to kind of like keep each other in line And so that we don't really look at what's actually going on, which is that we all need to be railing against the bullshit of this economy and of the healthcare system and of you know the environmental conditions. I mean, everything—the stuff that's making us sick. I mean, there's there's so many things that we could be focusing on. And so I have I want people to understand that when you say black rights are human rights, trans rights are human rights, it really is because when you focus on that and when you eradicate that and you fix that, then that becomes a way that everything else can get fixed from there and everything else can be,
1: um, can be highlighted. I agree. And so how do we stay non-distracted? How do we stay focused on refusing to be divided and protecting the weak and moving against the system of those people who want to divide us?
0: I have three words to respond to that. And it's an ethic of compassion, um, of witnessing, neutral witnessing and compassion.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's honestly like, I think what's happening right now is what that thing is. You know what I mean? Like if you think about before this moment, and this, was, this moment was only maybe three weeks ago, which is wild. But um, if you think about everything up until this moment, it was like, Okay, well, whatever problems black people have, black people are the only people who are going to care about it. So we're just going to go over here in our little huddle and try to, like, you know, do our things and fight for ourselves. And, you know, and meanwhile, the mass because we're only 13 percent of this country. Meanwhile, the other, you know, 85, whatever, 87 percent of everybody else is kind of carrying on as if nothing else is going on. And so when you have things broken down like that, it becomes really easy to like separate. So I think what's happening right now with everyone turning their attention all at once to black people and to this particular issue, this literally is how it gets fixed. It's by everyone being willing to... Come, I think what you were saying, Jenna, from a place of empathy, from a place of humility and compassion, and just go, we're going to put our coldest penguins on the inside. And this is where all of our energy is going right now. Mm -hmm. And we're let up until this is fixed. And then that, you know, that reverberates. And that's
0: what we have to cling to, all of us. We all have to cling to exactly what you said, the coldest penguins in the middle. Because there's definitely, from my perspective, forces like that 0.01% trying to divide us, to use Mm -hmm. division against us so that we Mm -hmm. cannot unify against them. To have 49% of people against 49% of people so that they can control the majority. And it's just so crucial for us to use Every tactic that they try to use to divide us to come together, to, to annihilate them,
2: to kick them out. And I want to just say this, and I know we're kind of short on time, but I just want to point this one thing out. When, um, right before um, chattel slavery started in this country, before this concept of whiteness was born, the concept of whiteness was born out of trying to keep poor black and poor white people away from each other because originally there were poor black people who were working um, as indentured servants and also poor white people. And those people were coming together. They were getting married. They were buying land together. And When they started to realize that those people were complaining about the conditions of their lives, they started to realize that they had to separate them. And so they gave this concept of whiteness and said, well, we're going to give these people these things, but those people can't have those things. And that just started this um, divide and conquer um, strategy. And it's been going on ever since. And so when I bring up the thing about Martin Luther King and the Poor People's um, Campaign, it's like... Once again, they realize, well, if he can unite black people and white people with a common interest against what's really going on, which is like economic oppression for everyone and all these other kinds of oppression, then like we don't stand a chance. You know what I mean? So we have to keep in
1: mind. Hmm?
0: Totally so (laughs) true. Totally so true.
1: (laughs) Wow. Yes. I mean, (laughs) my mind is just blowing off right now. (laughs) Mecca, I love you so much. The the level of eloquence and poise and just pointy and focused energy you have on this complex matter and how you can make it so relatable is so powerful. It's very
0: powerful. You're very eloquent.
1: Yeah, you're incredible. I'm so excited about what we're heading into. And I think that if we can all just keep on the perspective that it's us against that 0.01% and to see through the divide tactics, to not take it personally and to not take it so literally, but really put your critical thinking cap on and say, you know what, this may just be kind of designed to divide us Mm -hmm. and keep us distracted. And Mm -hmm. all I need to do is move into the space of the neutral, compassionate, loving witness Mm -hmm. and listen and be that penguin on the outside, pulling in the most vulnerable into the middle and keeping them warm and keeping us moving ahead as unity consciousness. I think that that just sums up what our responsibilities are right now and yeah. all there is to do is to be that penguin on the outer circle i know yeah. that really does sum it up that whole penguin thing and yeah. i think i think That's that nice. should be our invitation
2: to our, our listeners analogy but yes it's a, it's such a powerful analogy and it's such a great way to think of it and if you can just kind of like keep that in mind and you know and i and i also want to say like thank you like to you guys for having me on and for, um, you know, constantly asking the questions and trying to figure out what is the bigger picture and how do we all move forward together and what can we do? And all of that, like, this is such an important conversation to have. And it's an important conversation, um, for your audience. And I, and I, I'm just really grateful that you guys are um, taking this on in this way.
0: Mm, well, we, of course, you, we're going to pull those penguins in, and we're going <laughs> to cuddle around them. Um, and another, totally. crazy, another crazy thing is that today is Juneteenth, right? Like of yeah. all the days that we would end up recording this episode, which I we're know I thought about special. that all.
1: <laughs> yeah, divine it's orchestration amazing. once again. It exactly. is divine
0: orchestration. And that's how we can remember that we have. God on our side, I believe. Like we have, we are fighting the fight of the good and we have yeah. God on our side. And that is more powerful than the darkness. And the darkness is not going to win this time. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: Woohoo! Yes. Yes. Okay. Moving on into the light. I, have just had welled up eyes for quite a while there. I'm like super, super touched and feel in my heart just the importance of these words and the invitation that everyone listening to this has just been offered. It's really, really important and powerful. So thank you ladies for being a part of that. And I think that our invitation for everyone listening to this is to be that penguin. (laughs) On the outside, what can you do? Who in your life? You don't need to know them personally. There can be someone on the street. There can be someone you do know personally. Who what vulnerable penguin out there can you usher into the middle of that circle and offer retreat to and pull into unity consciousness Mm. just have a think about it and get into action because listening and being compassionate and moving into action through that space is the only way forward for all of us so mecca thank you once again i love you so much i'm so moved (laughs) love you babe um And that's it, guys. Thank you so much for being with us today. This has been such a powerful, powerful episode. Um, If you did resonate with today's episode, we really ask from our hearts that you support this movement and this conversation and you share this conversation with people. Leave us a five-star review. Leave us a comment. We want to hear your perspective on this. And if you have any great ideas to add to the conversation and to get us going on the good fight, you are more than welcome to be, you'll be heard here. I'm um, about so, to
0: start just sobbing. I can hear it in your oh voice. Oh my God, I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to
1: wrap this up real quick. <laughs> and that's it. Bye for now. We'll see you later. Love bye you girls. guys. All right. Bye
2: guys. Bye.